Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy, please. As you know, we have been in 1 Timothy for four months now or so. And uh, we are nearing the end of the chapter. And I want to tell you that we will finish today. That will not happen. It is amazing how the Lord puts things on your heart about uh, specific passages. And I know that the previous passage we looked at in verses 12 through 17 were, that was quite an extensive study. We spent almost six weeks there. And by the time this is done, we'll spend three to four weeks here in the last few verses of, uh, of uh, chapter one. So if you've made your way there to 1 Timothy chapter one, verses 18 through 20, I'm gonna ask you to stand one more time, please honor and reverence of the Word of God. As we begin here, uh, this is the charge to young Timothy. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on went before on thee, that thou by them might warest, <clears throat> mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away uh, concerning faith, having made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day, and thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we are gracious and grateful that you would uh, watch over us and protect us this day. Keep us, Lord, ever in your word, that we might know you just a little bit better. For it is by your word and through the prayer that we utter every day that we know you more and more day by day. Give us, bless us, and watch over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last week I began uh, the service with really a, a history lesson of kind of how uh, this war began. And I, and I know that there's a lot of people who don't understand that we're in a war as believers. But we are absolutely in a war. And, and whether or not... Uh, you you want to be is is kind of irrelevant to the point of if you if you've enlisted if you've been born again by the blood then you are enlisted into the Lord's army now how you respond there in that position is up to you but the Lord would have you be a good soldier and and Timothy is reminded by the Apostle Paul and you need to understand he was there with Paul when Ephesus was established and as Paul uh, began to began to leave his ministry there. He put it in charge there for Timothy to to have this to exercise the uh, the commandership, if you will, of that church as its pastor. And in the process of that, other godly men were raised up. Some went off astray into other ungodliness, and that's what most of chapter one is dealing with. Where Paul commits to Timothy a charge to go and fight that good fight here. It's all about what was happening in the previous part of the chapter. In dealing with these, uh, these apostates and these, uh, these false teachers and, and things like that, he is committed as a soldier to fight that good fight. Now the problem is, is we have so many fronts on which to fight. How do we do it? Well, there are three basic fronts we fight on. And I talked about this a little bit last week, and I'm just going to review them a little bit. Our lifelong fight is basically on these three fronts. We fight the evil world system, Satan, and the, our own sinful flesh. And if we can wrap our head around that much, 
we'll at least be prepared for the battle to come. So let's take a look at what that looks like. How do we fight a good warfare on those three fronts primarily? Well, we started out by understanding the history of the warfare. We understand that Satan being a creative being, Lucifer in the, uh, in the Old Testament, we understand him as the light bearer. We understand him as the one who reflects the Shekinah glory of God. And he became arrogant and prideful and fell from grace and has become the enemy of God. Now, let me be very, very clear on something. Satan is not a co-equal enemy of God that God is, okay? God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-being. There's no question there. Satan is not. Satan is a created being by God. However, an enemy and a powerful enemy, he is. He is the uh, archangel. He has, he's the second most powerful being in the universe. Him and Michael, the other archangel, and perhaps Gabriel, the other. Those three comprise the idea of angelic power, if you will. So when we fight against and we push back against the world system, the world system is anti-God and anti-Christ because it's fallen. Satan is against it because he's fallen. And finally, our flesh is fallen. So all of these are fallen things that can be either restored or overcome. That's where we find ourselves fighting on these three fronts. So Paul has, has made it clear that, Timothy, you are in a battle. Listen to it again. Here's what it says. Verse 18. This charge, this command, I, I give thee, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might warest, might, mightest war a good warfare. It is a command from his commander to go into the hot part of the battle, and for a strategic point, you're to battle. That's the idea behind this. It's a specific commission. Can I tell you that most Christians don't understand their commission? We, we read about the great commission of the church in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, and it's there for us for, to, to give us marching orders. But what we begin to understand is, in addition to, to the marching orders of going and discipling and baptizing and those things, we are also to fight. Now, I would love to sit back and tell you that the Christian life is the easy part of things. It's really not. It is a commitment. And it's supposed to be a commitment. Salvation is full and free. And there is no equivocation there. But the Christian life is fraught with fighting. And it's things you wouldn't think you'd have to fight, but you still do. You know, it's interesting. You read the New Testament... And there's always a fight over, well, do we, do we eat meat, worship, uh, you know, put it in, the, in, the, uh, in these places and submit it to idols? Do we do those things? Well, we Christians can't do it because they were doing it before and they don't want to continue to do that. So they don't want to have any part of it. The older Christians who, who've been around a little while have understood that an idol's nothing, so it doesn't matter. But there's a disconnect that happens and we've been studying on Wednesday nights. How that those who are further along in their faith or more mature in their faith have to come back and help those who aren't. Why do I tell you that? Because there's different levels at which we fight. Some of us are fighting the world system and we just say, i got to abstain from everything all at once. Because if I don't, there's no clear demarcation. 
Some have overcome those things and they are no longer in that part of the fight. They're fighting something else. But I can tell you that they're all fighting on those three fronts. The, the system of the world, Satan and his emissaries, and also self. Everybody fights it. It may just be at a different level. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about five basic things. Because we kind of talked about the history of it, about Lucifer's fall, uh, all of the scripture that comes around that from Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of those places. So I'm going to skip to point number one, actually. It's kind of where we are. We talked about even Revelation where we can see the entirety of the fall of Satan along with uh, the birth of Jesus Christ and, and, and the desire to destroy God's providence. So here's what you need to know about all, all the history. Yes, Satan fell. Yes, he desires to be like the Most High, but no, he'll never achieve it. Then he tried to destroy Jesus Christ and destroy all hope of any of us ever attaining the relationship with God that we once had in the, in the garden. And that's where we are. He desires to destroy that by whatever means necessary. And he uses three basic systems that we've talked about, right? The system of the world, Satan uses his, his own minions, and then thirdly, ourselves, our fight with, with ourselves. That's a big one for us. So that's all talked about. We, we talked about the history of it. I want to give you the first point today for, the, for this section, and that's this. The responsibility, and we're going to talk about the three major, or excuse me, four major responsibilities that are found in this passage. But the first responsibility is of knowing the schemes of Satan. And I want to give you five of them that we find in Scripture. If we're to be victorious, we have to understand how Satan attacks the church today. And when I, when I talk about the church, we're talking about the local visible assembly of saints. Those who've been born again by the blood. Those who've coveted together to, to carry out the commission of the Lord. We are under attack, not just from the world system, not just from Satan, but also from within ourselves. So let me give you five of them real quick, okay? First one is this one. First, Satan attacks the church by blinding the minds of unbelievers to the gospel. He makes it very difficult for us to do our committed work, as evident in empty chairs in the church. If I, if I were to go around the room and ask everybody to raise their hand, has anybody ever invited anybody to church or ask anybody or talk to anybody about their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I had you raise your hand, most of you would raise your hand. Here's the, here's the issue. Why aren't they in a church now? Why aren't they a part of what God is doing now? If you've had that conversation. Well, there's a reason why that happens. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, and we'll take a look at what that looks like. For us, we, we go out there, we tell the gospel to people, and we, we say, okay, Lord, we want them to come to Christ, and we're, we're praying for them, and we want this to happen. Why doesn't it happen? Well, let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 3. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Here it is, basic, right? In our modern culture, with all of the entertainment, with all of the massive uh, media outlets and all of that, you'd think it'd be so much easier now to get the gospel out than it ever has been. There's just one problem. The control of the airwaves, the control of these systems are under Satan's control. 
and he has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe to the gospel. Now that, that doesn't change our, our commission. That doesn't change our marching orders. It just makes it a little more difficult. We've got to figure it out. Somebody asked me if uh, TV was evil one time. TV in and of itself is not evil. The internet in and of itself is not evil. But the men behind it who put out the, the, the nastiness and the ugliness that we find on it that seems to promulgate the majority of it, that's evil. How do we fix that? Well, let me ask you something. How come we don't have Christian TV? Oh, we do. But what happens to Christian TV? If you've ever watched any Christian TV, I'm just going to tell you it's kind of lame. It doesn't entertain, does it? Well, and maybe some of that's part of it, but that's not really the gist of it either. Here's what happens. We, we don't have the kind of resources, at least in our minds we don't, that the rest of the world does. And we're trying to compete on their level. We don't want to do that, so we, we don't commit. I get it. But you, that means you've got to have personal relationships that are totally different than what the world sees. You know, right now, people are more separated than they've ever been. We, uh, we used to spend, I was talking to my wife this last week about it, we used to have people over to our house for days. Days. We had whole families over. They would come over and we would sit around and we, we would oh, we'd eat food till we just were bulbous. We, that's what we were. We were just bulbous. And we would sit and talk about the things of God up until the wee hours of the night, and then everybody goes to bed, we'd get up, we'd have breakfast because we needed to eat some more, and then we'd have more discussions on it. And this would go on two or three days at a time. We'd have people come, and they would come and visit and want to talk about spiritual things, and we'd talk until one or two in the morning, and then we'd figure out, hey, we, there's no point in you going home, just stay over. So they stayed over, we'd stay over a little longer, whatever, and have that conversation again. But we are getting further and further from that. Yesterday, I was driving around. <laughs> I don't know why I talk about driving around so much, but I do. I, it's, it's, the, it's the sheer volume of people in this town. I'm convinced of it. We were driving around, and at some point in the day, I just looked over Kimberly and says, I just can't people anymore. I just can't people. They were driving me crazy. I was intentionally going the long way around everywhere to avoid traffic because I couldn't people anymore. But we've gotten in this mindset that, that we need to be separate from everybody else. Can I tell you, we've been talking on Wednesday nights, if you haven't been here for Wednesday night discussion, about loving the brethren and what that looks like. About how we interact with one another and respond to one another. Satan attacks the church by blinding the minds of unbelievers. And it keeps the truth away from them. We have to work that much harder to get the truth to them. That won't be done necessarily on a Facebook page. I have discovered that whenever I entertain the notion that I have got a great point to make and I try to make it on Facebook, everybody else just gets uglier and it just escalates. What I've also discovered is that when I have conversations with people face to face and we have those discussions, it's less likely to escalate like that and get ugly. In fact, it's more likely to that we receive one another. You know, the tagline of this church uh, that we put on our, all of our signs and everything that's out there 
it, it says building relationships one friend at a time. If you've ever wondered how the gospel is promulgated, I would love to tell you this through large campaigns and big stadiums full of people that we preach the gospel to and they get saved and all that. That happens sometimes. But 90%, and that's the true statistic, I looked it up, 90% of everyone who comes to Christ comes to Christ through one person telling them about Jesus. Yes, the world system, yes, Satan attacks the church by blinding the minds of others, but can I also tell you that God unleashes his gospel on people when we are telling them. Some have said, well, why, why are we getting, why is the church falling, uh, you know, pray to low numbers and all these other things? It's because we quit telling people. Or because we, when we tell people, we don't really believe it. My hope is that neither of those are the case, and that we're telling people on a regular basis, and it's just the fact that they don't want to hear it. That may be true. Then we need to up our volume. Not loud. Volume. More. We need to increase our volume of the people we tell. We need to be telling more people. Instead of one person at work, I'm looking at three different people at work that I can go witness to, that I can talk to. We, uh, we, one, one, the lady I've been uh, talking with just quit uh, a, a couple weeks ago. She's moved on to a different position. They've got a new one starting in a week or so. And then there's another new lady they hired in. I've already, I've already started talking to these people about the gospel. I've talk, started talking to them about Jesus. We have to make concerted efforts to go back. The second place that Satan attacks the church is, is to attempt to devastate those who are already believers. The Bible tells us he's, he's seeking us as a roaring lion, as, as a lion that is looking for lunch. He's seeking us out to devour us, to, to crush us. Oh, even even worked with the, uh, the the apostles. Jesus was was done. Satan has has asked to sift him as wheat. Peter, can you imagine? And Jesus warns him. He says, "Satan desires you. He's asked after you to that he could he could sift you and twist you up." Satan wanted to destroy Peter's faith. Can I tell you, that's a real thing. I was telling my wife even this morning, uh, as we were getting up, I, I was just so discouraged. Uh, as your pastor, I want to be the guy who encourages you. I want to be the, the cheerleader for you. I want to, I want to give you the tools and the, and the opportunities to, to fight a good fight. But I'll tell you, I covet your prayers because... The fight is against me too. And it's probably hard against me for, because they put me in this position of leading the church. And when you're a spiritual leader, there's a, there's a fight that you just can't even imagine. I was having a casual conversation with somebody the other day and the, the casual conversation, when it turned over, we, we got to talking about leadership of the church and the pastor role and everything. And all of a sudden, and this person knows I'm a pastor, he just absolutely unloaded on pastors. And about how much of a bunch of money grubbers they are and this kind of thing and, and that they're just looking for a payday and that kind of thing. And, and it was just so discouraging. And this was a man that I, I, 
I admired him that, that was, a, was a, a spiritual man. And I had no idea he felt that way. I do now. Now, I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm a, I wear my big boy pants every day, okay? I've got tough skin. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. And I'll tell you, 10 of it at this church, by the way. I've got, I've got thick skin about things. I, I know when to be quiet and when not to, okay? So I understand that there's a spiritual warfare, but it even gets to you after, after a while. It just starts to wear on you. So pray for your pastors here. Pray for Brother Tommy while he's away. He's preaching this morning at, at his mother's church in uh, Texarkana, I believe. And then he's preaching next week over here uh, outside of Beaver, Arkansas. So be in prayer for him. Because Satan desires to tear up the lives of spiritual leaders. Now, I, I want to talk to you about you guys, though, too. Because that's really what he's after. He wants to take your testimony and twitch it and smash it up and beat it up. Because if he can tear you up, then that person that you're witnessing to won't listen. Peter, remember the Lord's warning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, and he's an adversary. Here's what most people don't think of, though. They disregard the warning Peter puts out there because they don't think Satan is real. Some have gotten in their mind that Satan is not a real being. That because we can't see him in our realm, in our world, that there's a there's somehow he, that makes him less real. Let me help you with that. He is real and he is seeking, as a roaring lion does, to tear you down, to beat you up, and to kill you if he can. So what does he say? Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because he wants to. He wants to tear your life up. He wants to destroy your testimony. Satan attacks believers trying to destroy their faith and trust in God and thereby rendering, rendering them ineffective in the battle. You know, if he strips off all your armor and if he strips away your sword, suddenly you've got nothing to fight with and nothing to protect yourself from. You're useless in the battle. Man, I tell you, we can't afford to lose anymore. Thirdly, Satan attacks marriage and family. Boy. My wife and I wrote a book a couple of years ago that, talking about the fight that's against the family, and it's real. There's plenty and ample warnings in Scripture about how to guard your marriage. One of those is, is through uh, the sexual relation aspect of, of the family. It is, it's, it's imperative that husbands and wives keep their, their marriage bed working. Because there is a tremendous push in our culture today to tear apart families by, via sexual deviations. How does it work? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, take a look at it with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'll just, I'll just briefly touch on it real quick here. Here's what it says about verse 5. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Okay. I'm still breaking in my new Bible, so bear with me just a little bit here. It says, Defraud you not, ye one another, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together against that. Uh, again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. You see, it, it, there's a, a temptation that occurs in families 
uh, fathers and husbands particularly. This world's totally against the marriage concepts that God has set forth. God says there's man and a woman, period. There's nothing else. There's no other kind of marriage out there. And the struggle is real because we see it. People, people for years uh, always said, well, the divorce rate inside the church, can I just help you? It's the same. The divorce rate in the church and the divorce rate outside the church are the same. There's virtually no difference. Less than one percentage point. Here's the rub. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I want to encourage you, actually, because we're, we've got hope and we've got opportunity because of what the Word of God says. We just have to be vigilant. We just have to work at it. I, I love it when they, young people come to me and ask me for marriage advice. This year, my wife and I celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary. I've known her for 30 years yesterday. We dated for a couple of years before we were married. And uh, if you've seen the Facebook post, I'm sorry. There's so much hair. There's just so much hair. I have none now. Um, she managed to keep all of hers. It was just bigger then. That's all. And in those 30 years, people coming to us and they, they ask marriage advice from, from time to time. And, and what's the biggest secret to, to how you guys are staying together? We work at it. And I remind myself every single day, she is the love of my life. Next to the Lord Jesus, she's second. And I look at her, and, and, and she gets mad at me for posting, like, the old pictures, like, uh, you know, the one I posted on Facebook just this morning. Uh, she gets mad about those, but that's okay. My issue is not that. It's, it, I'm often reminded, I see her that way all the time. You all know I can't see very well anyway. But I see her in that way because she is the love from my youth. People ask me all the time, should, should, we're 18 years old, should, should I get married? Well, let me ask you something on that. Are you looking to get married first? Secondly, are you doing things you shouldn't be doing ahead of marriage? And you all know what I'm talking about here. Better to marry than to burn. Can I tell you something? If I hadn't gotten married, we were discussing this in the men's meeting this morning. If I hadn't gotten married when I did, I don't know that I'd have gotten married. Marriage is scary now. Not like it was when I was a kid. I, 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 had, I had wanted to get married because I, I was a big romantic. It's hard to imagine, Miss Crystal. I know. <laughs> But I'm a big romantic. And I knew from, from very early on, I wanted to be married because I had seen marriage with my grandmother and grandfather that worked. It wasn't always great. I mean, they were, they were the secular view of marriage because my grandfather wasn't a believer. My grandmother was. But my mother had, had divorced and remarried three times. I, was, I, was, I had the strong desire. I was rebellious. Can, can I just say that out loud? I was rebellious. You can't imagine that, I know. I, I wanted to not be like everybody else. I wanted my marriage to work. See, I've watched all my friends and, 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 and my friends' families. They were all busted up. Everybody getting divorced left and right. I didn't want to be like that. I wanted to be the one that didn't. 
And it wasn't until the Lord saved me at the age of 18 that I began to understand what marriage was looking like. Even then, I was a bit of a fool. We got, I always tell people, we've been married 28, 28 years. We've, been, we've had 23 of them that have been absolutely glorious. There was that five year that kind of went, not so much. And thankfully, the Lord was gracious. I, I tell you all this so you understand that there's a, an attack that Satan is waging against the family. He desires to tear apart families because he knows that if he tears apart families, the, the continuation of the gospel is, is beaten down severely. Do you know why? Because in marriage, the commitment is that it looks like the church. It looks like the church in Christ. That's the idea behind marriage. You see, the marriage is supposed to look like what, what the relationship is between Christ and his church. There's a connection there that God is working on. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He leads his church. And in the same way, a man leads his wife. And there, are, there is a connection there that it's supposed to look like this one. Now, we've twisted it. We've beat it up. We've called it other things. But ideally, in Scripture, when a man and woman come together in marriage, the idea is, is that it looks like Christ and his church. Say, preacher, where are we? That's a little dated. I know. I'm a little old-fashioned that way. But the scriptures are plain. That's the third way, by the way, that Satan's attacking. The fourth way. I'm just going to give you these five today. The fourth way is the attacks are through their leaders, through the church's leaders. There is such an onslaught. Pastors are leaving in droves the churches. I know personally of six churches in Mississippi and three in Arkansas that are without pastors right now. I just personally know. There are tons more. I read all the websites. I, I talk to friends and stuff. There are guys who, who started out with me in ministry 20 years ago who have fell out five years ago, 10 years ago. And they've walked away from the church. During the COVID pandemic last year, 10% of pastors walked away over COVID-related things. You say, well, were they really, were they really the pastors? Of the Can I just tell you something? It's not about that. You need to understand that Satan desires to destroy leadership in the church because if he can tear down the church, he's, he's got to beat. Now we understand, we know what scripture says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But can I tell you that the way in which you can win a couple of, win a couple of strategic battles is to beat up the leadership pretty good. I've been in churches all uh, ever since I got saved, and, I, and I've watched things happen. I've seen men forced out of the ministry by certain individuals in the church. And by the way, Satan uses people too. There are basic basic structures he has. He's got himself as the as the archangel. And he's got all the angels underneath him who are demons fighting against the church, fighting against the things of God. He's also got evil people who have chosen the wrong side. And can I tell you that the struggle for a pastor is real. There is a reason why 1 Timothy expressly tells you why you need qualified leaders. It's 
Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 real quick, and I just want to show you. There's a phrase that I need to show you it found there in that passage dealing with the leadership. Now we know that the whole of, of chapter 3, in particular the first seven verses, deal with it specifically. This is a true saying, verse 1. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Pay attention to this. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And I'll go ahead and read verse 7 just to finish it out. It says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. The devil's laying snares for pastors, leadership in the church. You know why he does that? Because they're in leadership in the church. Paul writes specifically under the direction of the Holy Spirit that there might be qualifications for pastors. Just in case. I know, you know, there are people who constantly ask me about those qualifications. They say, well, what does this mean? Does it mean he's, a, does it mean he's only married one woman at a time or this kind of stuff? Can I just tell you something? You need to be as straight and narrow as you can possibly be to be a pastor. You just have to be a straight arrow. Why? Because the devil is looking to ensnare you. He has a strong desire to ensnare you. Go around and ask Tommy and Eric sometime about, about their experiences here as, as, as pastors in the church. They're experiencing them too. It may be God's using things at work. God may be using things in his personal life. But I'm going to tell you that Satan desires to whip us up and to snare us. And beat us up pretty good. And, and I mention it so that you understand that you need to pray for your pastors. Because there is a strong desire by the devil to get rid of us, to move us. Can I tell you that it used to be the moving rate for a pastor? A pastor would stay 18 months to two years was the average stay at a pastor, of a pastor in the church. Do you know what's down to now? 12 to 14 months. Pastors are only staying a 12 to 14 month stay at a church now. Why? Because it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly... I mean, you get... Look, I, we're a small church here, and, and we handle things in, in our own business. But you get to a big church where there's a lot of politics involved, and it will eat a pastor's lunch if he's not strong. Last thing I want to give you. The fifth thing. Satan attacks the church through false religious systems. Liberal Christianity, cults, World religions, humanism, all of it's playing a part right now in the, in the Lord's churches. We have adopted a mindset of worldliness in most churches and gotten away from the pure things of God. And what's beginning to happen, and, and to be quite frank with you, is a disturbing level of inconsistency. We see this pastor falling off into this sin, and we see... Uh, this church over here doing this to gain people. It's not hard to gain people. You know how you do it? Let me tell you the secret of, of pulling people into either a church or a club or whatever you've got going. The world system is real simple. Give them something they want and give it to them a lot 
and they'll show up. If you told everybody in our community that we were giving $20 every single Sunday to anybody who came to church, people would show up for free money. If you told them that we were going to bring a rock concert every single Sunday here at the church, they would start showing up. If we told them that we were going to entertain them with some kind of weird giveaway every week, they'd show up. I heard about a church years ago was giving away four-wheelers and boats. I want a boat. I love to fish. I love to fish for men. I love to fish for fish. I'd name it visitation. And when my, you call my wife, where's your husband? Oh, he's out on visitation. That's where he'd be. I, you know, they were giving boats away. They were giving four-wheelers away, bicycles, motorcycles, whatever. Come kick a, a ball through a field goal post we'll set up in the church. And if you do, you'll win a prize. People are crazy. They'll do it, though. We've got jugglers and acrobats and all kinds of things going on in the church in the name of religion. And we've left the pureness of the word of God and that being able to suffice us. We want the newer, bigger, better thing all the time. And the world system's all about it. Cults are prevalent now because now it's, a, now it's about this or that. We'll, we'll say it's a, a, a health and wellness bad cult or whatever. And they're promising you a better, better physical you. And they're promising you better hair and better eyes. I don't know what they're promising. They're promising all kinds of things. But can I tell you? It's a gimmick. It's the world system. They've got to entice you. What you draw them with is what you have to keep them with. So people have asked me over the years, how come you don't have a lot of programs? And how come you don't do a lot of you know, things with the youth and all these kinds of things? Can I just help you out here? I give, I give the same message to everybody who comes and tells me that. And there'll be people who come and visit and, and, and say, oh, I love your church. I love how close you guys are. And we're close. But then when you, when you ask them about why they didn't stay, well, you just didn't have anything for my kids. I have something for your kids. We all do here. It's the same thing every parent here gives their kids. It's the preciousness of the word of God. Week in and week out. Because at the end of all things, what does it matter if they had a pizza party? Or if they're going skiing in Colorado? Or any of those other things? What they need is the word of God into their life. They need to see their parents that worship God in spirit and in truth so that they may grow up to worship God in spirit and in truth. Look, I, I, I'm not against you know, the whole church going camping. We're talking about it again because COVID started getting lifted and whatnot. Maybe all of us going camping. Do you know what the point of us getting together and going camping is? It's to build the fellowship and to preach and teach the word of God while we're there. You see, we have three circles on the wall back there. Right, and those three circles are real simple for us. We, does everybody know what they are? Turn right there and look. They're back there against the wall. Oh, there they are right there. They're on the ball too. Love God, murder Christ, and live out your faith. If it doesn't fit those three circles, we kick it out. Because we want to make sure that we're on task with what God has given us to do. We're an army first. We're the army of God. We're brothers and sisters in an army. That's glorious because that means that I can lean on my brother or my sister and I can push back against the world because we're also an army. Liberal Christianity has taken root so much so that now 
we're replacing the gospel with materialism. What we've said is, God desires you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. So what you need to be doing is asking God for this or for that, and when he gives it to you, you that's, when, that's when you're on track with God. But if he doesn't give it to you, then you obviously don't have enough faith. Can I tell you, that's a lie from the devil. Here's what I know about my faith. God owes me nothing. He owes me absolutely nothing. But he does, of his own volition, give me grace and mercy when I don't deserve it. Oh, what a precious thing that is in light of eternity to come. So let's, let's recap real quick here the five things. The responsibility of knowing the schemes of Satan, we're talking about five of them. First, he attacks church by blinding the minds of unbelievers to the gospel. Secondly, <clears throat> he attempts to devastate those who are already believers to cripple them and destroy their credibility and witness. Thirdly, Satan attacks the church by attacking the family and marriage. Fourthly, he attacks the leadership of the church. And finally, he attacks it through false religious systems. Next week, we're going to learn about the believer can do and their responsibilities both with, from within and without. And then we're going to learn what the church can do specifically to fight back. So that's going to be the last two sermons right there. That's all I've got this morning. Let me, would you stand real quick? Let's have a word of prayer. Here's some things to consider as, we, as we're getting ready to leave. Satan desires to destroy the church. This church, that church down the street, every other church. He desires to sift the people of that church like wheat. He desires to destroy our testimony. He desires to not let the world hear it because they're too caught up in everything around them. He desires to give us false religious things, false cults and false systems. He desires to tear us down and, and beat us up. This week, pray. This week, pray. Pray that the Lord God would protect our church. Pray that the Lord God would protect our leadership. Pray that he protect our marriages, our families. Pray that he would protect us as we fight the good fight. We are like Timothy. We've been called to a fight. We've been called to war a good warfare. A noble warfare, actually, is how it's actually said. A warfare that began before any of us were born will continue till we all pass from this earth and beyond. But we're in the middle of it. Are you ready for it? Let's pray that the Lord will help us fight the good fight. Father God, thank you for the day and thank you for your many blessings. What a tremendous time to be a part of the local New Testament church. How exciting to know that we've been called to do a good warfare. Lord, we know that Satan desires to sift us as wheat. We know that he is seeking us to devour us all. But we're not worried. We're not giving in to fear. For you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And though the battle is hard, and it's treacherous, we fight. Not because we, want, we seek our own glory, but because we seek yours. Let us be mindful of the world around us. Let us be vigilant and be sober-minded to the snares and entrapments of the devil. Bless today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Protect those who couldn't make it today, Lord. Be with them.
Strengthen them in your name. Strengthen us all. Give us the resolve we need. In these things we pray in the name of Jesus.